Today we're going to talk about a really important subject. And by way of introduction, I need to tell you about a writer named William Saroyan, I think is how you say his name. In an interview shortly before he died, he said, everybody has got to die, but I've always thought that an exception might be made in my case. Hmm. And, and then he asked a question, now what? Now what? It's a good question. What happens after you die? And it's not just a theoretical question of, of uh, the afterlife. It's a real question about how we live our lives today because what we believe impacts how we live and it impacts how we think and feel. What happens after you die? Some people think that you go down to hell or you go up to heaven when you die. Others believe in some kind of purgatory. Uh, some believe that when you die, it's over the end, nothing after you die. And uh, then there's others that believe in this idea of reincarnation. When you die, something happens and you come back as something else. And uh, hopefully improving every time. Um, now, we've all lost loved ones. We've all experienced death in some fashion or another. And it, it has a big impact on our hearts and our lives. This is an important subject and an important question. Wouldn't you agree? In Genesis 1-1, we're going to start by exploring our origins. Where did we begin? And, uh, and I want to say the Bible is going to be the one that gives our answers today. So let's just go through, and, and forgive me, but we're going to go through about 30 different texts today. Um, so follow along on the screen or open your Bible quickly. Um, if you're a pathfinder, I'm sure you've been practicing where to find books of the Bible, so this would be a good practice for you today. So Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and He created the earth beautiful and wonderful and perfect. And, uh, and then on the sixth day, He says, let's make man in our image. That's God's design. And in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we read, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Make man in our image, don't eat of the tree or you'll die. This is God's original setup. That's how He designed uh, mankind. And... Uh, well, the, the idea was that God had designed man to live forever, obviously with the context of this tree of life that he gave them to eat from, uh, but it was, he was designed uh, to live forever. Hmm. And, and a perfect world, that would have been okay. But then man sinned. And so God separated mankind from the Garden of Eden, from the tree of life, so that, that mankind wouldn't be living forever in a sinful state. God said, if you eat from the tree, you will surely die. But let's just um, examine this a little bit. Genesis 3, 1 tells the story. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And notice how the devil responds through the serpent. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. This is Satan's design. He lies, he deceives, and he, he, he tries to do it in a way that entices us and attracts us, but he, he says things that are completely opposite of what's true. And God has said, 
you shall die. Satan says you shall not die. And, and that idea has been perpetuated throughout the years. God is the life giver. Sin, the Bible tells us, separates us from God. And, and by definition, it separates us from the life giver. How can you live without life? Well, it's a question we're going to have to look at a little bit more in detail. Let's uh, go on. Uh, Chapter 2 in Genesis, verse 7. This is kind of the building blocks of mankind, what God, how God put us together. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So, he takes this dust, he adds in his breath, and we have living soul. And this, there's a lot of, of places the Bible talks about this formula. Um, in Psalms 146.4, he says, His breath goes forth, he returneth to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. Um, there, there's this idea of dust plus breath equals living soul, dust minus breath is, is death. Um, so, so this idea, dust, breath, living soul, is, um, is, is all around. And um, when you take the breath away, you get what? Well, you get, you get a non-living being, right? So what is this breath thing? We need to understand it to figure out what the Bible is talking about. Breath is, is this, um, is it consciousness? Is it some um, independent entity that uh, is just living inside the shell of a, a human body? Or is it something different? In the book of Acts, you read about 3,000 times, I mean, sorry, 3,000 souls that were baptized in one day. 3,000 souls were those um, uh, breathy uh, ghosts that were baptized that day? No, they were real living beings. They were creatures, living persons. In Luke, um, I'm sorry, Luke wrote that 276 souls were in a boat um, when Paul was on the way to Rome. And, and then in another place in Revelation, we read that every living soul died in the sea. So there's this idea that the soul is a being, not, not a, a separate breathy, ghosty thing, but a living being. So if you were to say of Aunt Ethel after she's passed away, oh, Aunt Ethel was such a dear old soul, would you be saying that she was a dear ghost? No, you're saying she's a dear woman, right? So a soul is, is a person, an individual. Well, if, if we don't have a soul, if we are a living soul, then, uh, then what about this breath and, and spirit idea? Because the Bible does say some things about the spirit. Um, is, is the spirit in us some divine spiritual thing that goes back to God? Well, let's look. Ecclesiastes 12, 7 says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. And that, that kind of seems like maybe, maybe the Spirit is some independent thing that goes back to God, goes to heaven. But let's read Job 27, 3. Job says, All the while my breath is in me, and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. So Job is connecting these two thoughts. The Spirit and the breath are the same thing, same idea. Um, so when it's said that a man has breathed his last. What does that mean? It means that the breath of God or the Spirit of God, it goes out of him. He has no more life, and it, and it dissipates into the air. 
That's the literal thing that happens. Our breath just leaves us. It goes into the air. But, but figuratively, God has this, the ability and the power to raise us from the dead in the resurrection. And so, basically, this idea is that God has some way, some record of us so that He can raise us back to life. That's the, the figurative meaning of this idea of the breath going back to God. So if we take this equation and we flip it over, we'll find dust of the ground minus breath of life or the spirit, whichever one you want to call it, equals a dead body. That's the end. Uh, it's plain in the Bible. It's, it's not hard to understand what the Bible is saying. It's clear that Satan has a desire to deceive us in this, in this area. Um, but, uh, you know, for some reason, we just have this idea for years and years and years and years and years and years, we can trace it for millennia, actually, back in time. And, and it's the idea that we have an immortal soul, that the soul will not die. So, a wicked person will have a soul that is tormented in hell forever, and a, uh, a righteous person will have a soul that goes to heaven and lives with God for eternity. We're going to talk about the idea of hell and what the Bible says about the final judgment of the wicked tonight. So, please come at 6.30, and we're going to meet in the fellowship hall. We're not going to dive into that too much, but, but we do want to understand, do we have an immortal soul, or is there something else the Bible is teaching? Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who also has immortality. Is that what it says? No, who alone has immortality. This is one of the characteristics of God. He is immortal. He cannot die. In 1 Timothy 1.17, uh, it says, Now the, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know, you'll find the word soul or spirit uh, about 1,500 times in the Bible, but you never, ever, ever read about it as being immortal. So, in, in fact, in Romans chapter 2, verse 7, we're told that we need to seek immortality. It's something that's given as a gift from God and uh, can be removed uh, at His will, um, which is what happened in the Garden of Eden. So, in Ezekiel 18.4, we read that the soul who sins, that's the person, the whole being, the person who sins shall die, not live on, not keep thinking. Um, God was so strong in this that just a few verses later, in, uh, in verse 20, He says the same thing again, the soul who sins shall die. So, how do we get this idea that, um, that souls go on living after death? Where does this come from? Well, of course, it comes from the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve were standing there at the foot of the tree, and, and Satan says to Eve, you will not die. He inserts doubt. God, God doesn't want you to know the real thing. God's hiding stuff from you. You're not going to really die. Unfortunately, you have a lot of people that base their beliefs not on God's Word, that when God said, you will die, Adam and Eve should have said, okay, that's God's Word. He knows these things. I'll believe it. Instead, they believed a lie, and, and they believed what they felt and experienced. And that's kind of the, the thing that's going on today. A lot of people believe their experiences before they believe God's Word. You've heard of these out-of-body experiences? So, the, um, 
There's this one young lady who was doing drugs with her friends. Not a good idea. It's uh, something that apparently has bad consequences. Um, she, it, was, it was apparent that she had overdosed, and they, they thought that she had died. The friends did. And so they picked her up, and they threw her behind some bushes. Very nice friends they were. And, uh, and they, they went running off. She records that all the while that this was happening, she was behind the hedge and all these things, uh, that her soul left her body and, and she could look down on herself and see what was going on. Or you've heard of the, the people who have been in accidents and while they're being taken on the gurney into the, the ambulance or into the hospital, they, they have these out-of-body experiences. Now, one thing that I'd like to point out is that um, people who have near-death experiences typically have them when they're under a lot of stress. Um, or they're being pumped full of drugs or uh, something of this nature. You don't find uh, a um, person sitting on the beaches of Cancun, uh, sipping some nice cold tea and uh, just relaxing under the rays. You don't find them talking about their out-of-body experiences or some librarian on some nice, quiet Thursday morning having an out-of-body experience. It's just not, it's not something that you, you hear about. Pilots who are in centrifuges will have that out-of-body experience or the, the, the tunnel vision. Um, and there, there's studies that have been done to try to figure out what's going on here, what, what actually is happening physiologically. Uh, one uh, newspaper or one paper writes, a new study suggests these out-of-body experience or, and near-death experiences may be influenced by a portion of the brain misfiring under stress. And that portion of the brain is called the angular gyrus. And that, that helps you process sensory information. And it, it, it affects how you perceive your own body. And so it, when it's under stress, these out-of-body experiences can be the result. This isn't the result of some uh, afterlife experience or almost afterlife experience. This is the result of the body misfiring and going wrong. This is physiological, not spiritual. So let's dig a little deeper into God's Word and figure out um, a little more about this subject because people do base their, experience, or their, their ideas so much on their experience. We want to understand, what does the Bible say about somebody who has died? What happens to them? Well, Acts uh, chapter 2 and verse 29, Peter is preaching to the crowd, and he says something about David that, that helps us know what the Bible is, is intending us to believe. Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Right there, he's pointing it out, dead and buried. Does that mean that he's in heaven, or is he in the ground? Verse 34 is where Peter continues. He says, for David did not ascend into heaven. But he himself said, says he himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. He did not ascend into heaven. So he's, where is David? According to Peter, at that time, hundreds of years after David had died, he was still buried in the ground in the tomb. He did not ascend to heaven. Psalms 115.17 says, the dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. We're not talking about going up into heaven where praises are given to God. If you read Revelation, and I encourage you to do so. Revelation is filled with angels glorifying God. Revelation 4 and 5 is this great processional, and the angels, 10,000 times 10,000, John records, are singing praises to God. But the dead, David being one of God's children, 
the dead don't praise God. In uh, another story, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Lazarus has been sick for several days, and Jesus decides that they're going to go to to Lazarus finally, and the disciples are like, oh, good. But then Jesus says this, these things he said, and after that he said to them, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And how did the disciples respond? They said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about a taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Notice that, that Jesus equates death with sleep. How is it when you sleep? I mean, a good deep sleep, not the, uh, the, the right on the edge of sleep where you're imagining things and dreaming things. I'm, I'm talking about a deep sleep. Do you remember what happens in your sleep? Not generally. And, and uh, it, it's, it's just quietness. Nothing goes on during sleep. And Jesus equates this with, uh, with death. Now, I understand some people would, would prefer to think that their grandmother who's passed away or their beloved spouse or friend is in heaven and enjoying all of the fruits of God's salvation. But would heaven really be heaven? Would it be beautiful and wonderful if you looked down and saw all the trial and all the problems on the earth? How could somebody so close to the heart of God whose heart beats with him, how could they look down and not weep and mourn at what we experience on earth? Heaven would not be heaven in that situation. So let's, let's see a little bit more. What happens when Jesus is unfolding the story of, of the afterlife to his disciples and then to specifically Lazarus' sister, Martha? In John 11, verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother is in heaven. No, is that what he said? No, he said, your brother will rise again. Your, your brother is in the tomb, and he will rise again, is what Jesus is saying. Martha responds, and she clarifies something. She says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection. When is that time frame? When is the resurrection? At the last day. When, when Jesus comes the second time, the Bible records that there'll be a resurrection. We're going to talk about that tonight a little bit more, but the resurrection is at the last day. In John eleven twenty five, 25, the Bible says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Death is an enemy. It is not God's plan. It is, it's something that's been inserted into our experience because of sin. And God has a plan to eradicate sin and to, to have victory over death victory. Resurrection is the victory. It's not, the victory isn't the uh, immediate going to heaven. The victory is the resurrection. That's the, the thing we can look, look forward to. And, and I think it's, it's worthwhile to recognize Jesus' emphasis here. This isn't some philosopher talking. This isn't some uh, preacher that uh, might or might not know what happens after death. No, this is Jesus God himself, who will shortly give his life, the life no one could take, he would die and lay buried in the grave, and then he would be resurrected himself. 
So let's, let's keep looking and, and see what happens next in Lazarus' story. In, uh, it says, now when he had seen these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And where did, you, where did Lazarus come from? Did he, did he descend out of heaven? No, he came out of the tomb, wrapped in his, his uh, grave clothes. Jesus is the great physician. And he has a cure for death. In 1 Corinthians 15, uh, the whole chapter talks about death. It's fantastic. Uh, good read. You should read it. In one place, it says that uh, the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. When death is destroyed, there'll be no more sorrow, no more sickness, nothing. The longest life that we have recorded in modern history, 122 years, a lady in France. And and lately, no one's gotten close. There's several people that are in their early hundreds, but uh, nobody quite close to 122. And that's not God's plan. God's plan is for us to live for a long, 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 long time, forever. That's what He'd like to give us. In Psalm 1715, David said, I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Like Lazarus, waking up from the sleep of death after Jesus called him out of the tomb. Daniel 12.2 says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is why Paul says, Behold, we shall not all sleep. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. In fact, in more more than 50 places, the Bible calls death asleep. Do you think they're going to say, oh man, that took a long, long time. Poor David, he's had a long time to rest in the grave, hasn't he? And and then Jesus finally comes, boy, he's, he's been bored down there, hasn't he? Sleeping in the, in the, no, when you sleep, you don't remember the time. Um, it's funny, my kids don't want to go to sleep because it's going to be a long time until morning, when in reality, the quicker they go to sleep, the faster the time seems. Have you experienced that? You're not getting up looking at your clock. Hopefully, you're not. That's a, a hard, hard night's sleep if you're always getting up looking at the clock wishing for the morning. No, no when you fall asleep and you sleep well, you don't remember a thing until the morning com- comes. The Word of God says in Ecclesiastes 9.5, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. The dead die. They sleep. They're, they're, they're ignorant of everything that's going on. They're six feet underground. They've turned back into dust. The Bible says, from dust you were made, and to dust you will return. That's, that's God's, um, God's method um, in, this, in this life, in this first death. There's some ideas that have come, maybe from people's experience, but primarily from Satan's deceptions. And and I'm just going to categorize them all as spiritualism. And there's necromancy, and there's there's mediums, and there's there's fortune tellers, and there's all kinds of things that try to communicate about things that we don't know, things like the afterlife or what people might be thinking after they die or, uh, you know, all these different stuff. And there's there's, some... uh, there, there's things that, that happen. Maybe uh, there's some noises in the attic um, or, or some creaking that we attribute to some spiritual force. And, and there's some fear about uh, that, that spiritual force and, and what it might be doing, that, that maybe there's, maybe there's uh, things that go bump in the night. 
and, uh, and that we should be afraid of these dead people that have returned to their homes. There's an article in the recent uh, Walla Walla Union Bulletin. It's the section called The God Squad. Anybody read that? October 7? Yeah. Uh, David Cowles gave me this article, and uh, it's written by Mark Gelman, and he writes about a friend who, his name is Tommy, and Tommy died uh, some years ago, and before Tommy died, they were having a chat about the afterlife, and Mark said to Tommy, when you get to heaven, send me a message. I want to know what it's like. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Nice thought, but... uh, He recognizes immediately after he says this uh, conversation took place, and and, and then he said, Tommy died and nothing happened, no no responses from heaven, and and, and no no miraculous things, he didn't win any lotteries, uh, nothing. And and so he recognizes all these verses in the Bible that say not to communicate with the dead. And that's, uh, it's nice that he recognizes that, but then he, he talks about an experience, and we're contrasting understanding the Bible truth and looking at our own experience. And this is what he says. He met up with a friend named Michael who knew Tommy, and uh, Michael was, they were eating breakfast together, and Michael told him this story. The day before, he'd been shaving and praying, and in his prayer, he addressed Tommy. And Mark, Mark writes this, uh, Michael, um, quoting Michael, I am going to meet your best friend tomorrow for lunch. Do you have anything you want to tell him? He's asking Tommy, the dead friend of, of uh, Mark. So Michael said to him that, that he immediately heard Tommy's voice as clear as a bell. Tommy said, tell Mark that Soul is in charge and that he wants Mark to know that Soul said that this place is beautiful, more beautiful than he could ever imagine. And, and so Mark goes on to say Soul is his dad who died in 2007, so many years before. And Michael didn't know Soul, um, but Tommy did. So, so he feels like this is a message from Tommy. Not only was that part of it, but Soul liked to be in charge of everything, kind of thought of himself as in charge, just inserted himself uh, in, into whatever situation he was in. And so Tommy saying that Soul was in charge was just like what Soul would do, but it's also just like Tommy's humor because, you know, Tommy, he had this, this, um, this dry sense of humor. And so he, it would be just like him to make fun of Soul thinking he was in charge of heaven. And then he finishes his article by saying, I don't care about the biblical prohibitions this sign violated. What I do care about is that my dad is in charge of heaven. What I do care about is that Tommy is okay and that my best friend still has my number. I am sure that Mark Gelman has the best of intentions. I don't question his sincerity. I don't know him. I couldn't. Um, but it, it underscores an important point. We, we have given ourselves over to our experiences more than to God's Word. What's the better uh, determiner of truth? Is it what I feel or what I experience, or is it what God says? I think it's important that we put our foundation on God's Word. If we don't, we're opening ourselves up to deceptions. So if the dead don't come back and talk to us and make noises and appear and things like this, then, uh, then who does? What, is, what are these things? Um, let's look at Job chapter 7 and verses 8 through 10. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. 
He shall never return to his house, nor shall his place know him anymore. And then in, in chapter 16, verse 22, it says, for when a few years are finished, I shall go away, go the way of no return. So are, are the dead people coming back and haunting us living? Are they uh, sending us messages from heaven or tormenting us from hell? Uh, no, the Bible says that doesn't happen. Revelation 16, 13 says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. So what does the Bible say is happening when these uh, apparitions, these things come to visit us? Is it the, the dead spirits that are coming back? No, the Bible clearly says the dead know nothing. They're in the grave. They do not return. It says in Revelation that it's these spirits, demons from Satan, that come and maybe they appear like an angel of light. Maybe they entice us with good things. They tell us things that we think only our loved one would know. Well, our loved one and God and Satan. And they, they, they try to entice us and get us going down the wrong path. What would happen if your uh, daughter... I've got a little girl. Let's say that she passed away, and then I saw her come back. I saw her come back to me, running towards me. Daddy, I have a message for you from God. Oh, the temptation to believe what the devil is presenting to me as someone that I love. The temptation to to disregard God's Word would be very strong. According to the Bible, uh, these spiritual manifestations are going to be more and more prevalent as the time of the end uh, continues and Jesus' return is soon. But we can know that the Bible says the dead know nothing and, and that this is a, a deception of Satan. But, but these apparitions, they, they seem really real, like Mary. You've seen uh, news articles and I'm sure stories about Mary appearing um, Uh, images of Mary with oil coming out or Bibles with interesting things happening or or ghostly figures on the top of some cathedral that um, seems like that's Mary. I think these are probably real scenarios. It's not just that they're somebody faking it. Satan wants to deceive us. He wants to tempt us towards this this falsehood. Once, Once we start to believe that the dead do know something, then we're, we're open to all of the other deceptions that he might throw our way. So the Bible tells us that the dead don't know anything. It says that they don't come back home after they die. They don't go to heaven to praise God or down to hell to be tormented um, as soon as they die. And again, we'll talk about more, more of that tonight. Um, but it, it says that they're in their graves sleeping until Jesus returns and he calls them up. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to, be present, uh, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Uh, this is Paul, and it's a statement that, that we sometimes confuse. We've read it as, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But Paul never says that. He says, we are pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. In other words, if I had it my way, I'd be out of this old body 
and present with the Lord. That's Paul's statement. He's not telling us that, that we, uh, as soon as we die, we go to heaven. Instead, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, just a few chapters later, he clarifies this. He says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. I'd rather be in the new body. The changed body is what he was saying in 1 Corinthians 5. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump. Hmm. Think about this for a moment. If people die and go straight to heaven, what's the point about being changed at the resurrection? Does God bring the dead, I don't know, bodiless spirits back with Him um, so that they can get their bodies? That's one explanation. Uh, it's probably the best one I've heard. And I, it doesn't exactly line up when I think about it, when I, when I logically think about it. It makes more sense that God would raise us up to life um, at the last trump, like he's said here. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Hmm, that's a beautiful thought. How many of you have, have uh, complaints about your body? Maybe your knee, or, or right now my neck, or all kinds of things that, uh, that, that ache and, and groan and annoy. The promise is that it'll be changed. We're not going to come up from the grave the same as we went into it. We're going to come up with new bodies, and those who never die will, um, that, that are alive at Jesus' second coming will, will have new bodies as well. 1 Thessalonians 4 says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, or in the same way He died and then rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. We're not going to go ahead of the dead. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise from heaven. No, no, it's, we're all on earth, the dead and the righteous, and, and the living righteous. Jesus comes in the clouds with the angels and all the host of heaven and the shout, and in his shout, he calls for them to wake up, and they do. They wake up in the, in the resurrection, and the dead, they rise first, and those of us who are alive and remain will watch, and, and our bodies will be changed, and we'll start to rise up to meet our Lord in the air. It says, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. These are the words of comfort, not Satan's lie that you shall not surely die. It's these words that are words of comfort for us. Rather than your loved ones going to heaven before you do, waiting for you there, no, they, they're sleeping. They're sleeping until the return of Jesus, and all together we'll go to heaven. God has this wonderful plan. Yeah, we all experience death. The Bible says it's appointed for all men once to die. But Jesus, He volunteered Himself to die in our place, that second death, the death of judgment that we'll talk about tonight. We die in this life, but because Jesus died and took our sin, and because He rose from the dead, we have the promise of the resurrection and everlasting life. There is this uh, story that we have to talk about because when Jesus died, there was a guy on the cross and he was beside Jesus and he says this, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And, and the, the response Jesus gives has troubled some people because what Jesus says seems to be 
um, that when you, well, let's read it here. I think it's, and Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. He, the timing seems to say that this, this man, this thief on the cross, when they both die that day, will be in paradise. And that sounds good, but the problem is when Jesus died that day, the Bible records that he went into the tomb and he rested during the Sabbath day in, in, in the sleep of death, and then he, he rose on Sunday morning. Mary and several others came to the tomb, and uh, they saw Jesus was gone, and they left, but Mary stayed, and she wept, and she talked to angels, and then she turns around, and in her tears, she sees Jesus and thinks that he's a gardener. And she says, where have you taken my Lord? And, she, and, and he says, Mary. And with those words, and she hears his voice, and, and she says, teacher, Rabboni, and, and tries to, to cling to him. And, and he says, no, 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 don't, don't cling to me. I need to go to my father. I have not yet been to my father. And it's this idea, uh, th this timeline that Jesus gives. He hasn't yet gone to his father that makes it really clear that this understanding of, of uh, the passage where it says, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It, it can't be true because Jesus himself admits he has not yet gone to heaven. He hasn't gone to paradise. So, what does this actually mean? Well, in, in the original language, Greek, there weren't commas. In fact, in some places, uh, they use these things called unseals. I think that's what they're called. Somebody will correct me afterwards, I'm sure. But, but uh, they're capital letters, capital Greek letters, and there's no spaces between words, and there's no lowercase anything, and there's no punctuation. Can you imagine if we had to read that way? Whew, I'm glad we don't. Well, the translators have the really hard task of figuring out where do those words begin and end and, and all of this stuff, and they have to add commas and periods and apostrophes and M dashes and all those good things so that we can understand it in English. So the translators, they kind of got this one wrong. Uh, the other option for us is to go to, to, to move the comma a little bit, and it says a totally different thing. Assur assuredly, I say to you today, I'm talking to you right now, this is, this is the timing of my speech, not the timing of your reward. Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And when would he be with him in paradise? Why, of course, the same time that Lazarus would have been, in the last day, at the last trump, when the resurrection happens, and all of us, all of us will be with Jesus in heaven. When we look at, at uh, all these things in the Bible, we think about Jesus' death. He died the death that we don't have to die because of, of his sacrifice. And, and the death that we experience and that our loved ones have experienced is, is sad, and it, and it hurts our hearts, but we don't have to be hopeless. The resurrection is the victory that Jesus brings because of his death. He died for you and me. He died in our place. And, and because of his death, we don't need to be wondering about our salvation. It, do, it doesn't matter if you've been the worst person in the world or if, if other people have made you feel that way. It doesn't matter what your feelings are. What matters is that Jesus gave his life for you and for me. We need to take God at his word, not based on our experience, not based on our feeling. We need to take God at his word. And he has said that if we believe, that he will save us. 
Would you say with me today, Lord, I believe. I believe that you died and rose again. I believe that Jesus is coming back for me. If you'd like to accept Jesus today, and maybe you've never done it before, maybe it's uh, something that you've been thinking about, uh, you've been exploring or curious about, I'd just like to encourage you in your heart as I pray, just say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. You know, he says, if you believe that you'll be saved, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I want you in my life. And, and if you'd like to tell somebody about that, um, there's a connect card on your bulletin or in the back of your pew, and just, just say, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to tell somebody. I'd maybe, maybe I'd like somebody to come and, and visit with me or talk to me more about some of these subjects. Um, just fill that out, put your name in there, say that, that you'd like um, us to come and visit. There's a checkbox. And uh, we, we just love to, to praise God with you for that new experience that you're going to have with Jesus. Let's pray now. Father in heaven, you have promised a second coming of Jesus. The, the Bible is full of this day of the Lord language, and we know that you're coming soon. All of heaven will be emptied with rejoicing at the resurrection of the righteous. We want to be in that resurrection, Lord. We want to be there and see Jesus come and say, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. And so, Lord, we give our hearts to you today. We give our hearts to you again. We give our hearts to you for, for the first time, but it, we're yours. Do with us what you will. Give us your salvation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.